With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 120th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, presented today by Walt Disney Animation Studios' hit original film, Zootopia, which is Golden Globe nominated for Best Animated Feature. My guest today is one of the most popular and respected actors out there, a man who has anchored blockbuster franchises, been Oscar nominated, and starred in the last two Best Picture Oscar winners, Michael Keaton. The 65-year-old emerged from the world of television to become one of the biggest stars of the 1980s, thanks in no small part to his work in films like 1982's Night Shift, 1983's Mr. Mom, 1988's Clean and Sober and Beetlejuice, and especially 1989's Batman, as well as its 1992 sequel Batman Returns. His star faded somewhat in the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s, although he did fine work in films like 1996's Multiplicity, 1997's Jackie Brown, and 1998's Out of Sight. But he returned to the fore in a big way in Alejandro G. Iñárritu's 2014 comedy Birdman and Tom McCarthy's 2015 drama Spotlight, garnering a Best Actor Oscar nomination for the former and getting robbed of a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination for the latter. And this year, he gave a performance that is, in my humble opinion, as good as any he's ever given, in John Lee Hancock's The Founder, a Weinstein Company drama about Ray Kroc, the man who widely is believed to have founded McDonald's, although the story is a little bit more complicated than that. Over the course of our conversation at Keaton's office in Santa Monica, we cover a wide range of topics, including how a guy who started in public television and stand-up comedy wound up on hit TV shows like Maud and the Mary Tyler Moore Hour, how he got and capitalized on his first sizable part in the movies in Night Shift, stealing scenes from its leading man, Henry Winkler, why he has so much respect for Tim Burton, who directed him first in Beetlejuice and then in Batman, the latter of which was the first in the wave of dark comic book adaptations that has swept the business in the years since, why he sought out and embraced acting challenges like playing clones in Multiplicity, the same character in multiple movies in Jackie Brown and Out of Sight, and an obviously self-referential character in Birdman, and what he learned about Ray Kroc, America, and himself by making the founder. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Michael, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We always just begin, for the record, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? I was born outside of Pittsburgh, between two people used to identify towns. I don't know that they do that anymore by what the commerce was, really. You know, uh, my mom grew up on a hill like that called Churchill Street, McKee's Rocks, which was a tough little mill town. And that was, I'd say, down the river, about down the Ohio, from Pittsburgh, about six, seven miles, maybe. Then we grew up between there and what was at Coriopolis, which was known as a railroad town. Mm-hmm. And, but also some mills and, you know, industrial working class towns. But in between, it was country, you know, it was, it was rural. And your parents were? My mom, my dad was a, a, got his GED. And then it, my dad is a bootstraps type guy, not unlike Red Croc, who, who, you know, was an okay. We were, I was asking my sister and my brother the other day, he was an okay student. We, we don't, we're not sure whether or not he graduated from high school. I can't, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I can't, kind of can't believe that. None of us know for sure. Mm-hmm. I think in his last year, he, he, he was a farm boy, country boy. And, and I think his last year, he may not have completed, but he got a correspondence. He took a correspondence course to become a surveyor. And then he became a, an engineer, a civil engineer. And he, and he kept moving up and he was, you know, he always worked two jobs. He would work for, he worked for the county and then he worked for a private company, but he also had his own business where we all, we all worked. I worked for all those companies. I worked for my dad and I worked for the cop. I had a zillion jobs. I was thinking about that this morning, actually. I, I had to park in this parking lot and go to, go to the bank for a minute. They were patching the parking lot with asphalt. And uh, I spent a summer shoveling asphalt off the back of a truck, which sounds weird to say I actually like that job. Yeah. But it's one of those, it's like, a, it's weirdly meditative. And one of my favorite things to do, we don't, we don't grow any hay on my ranch anymore. Mm-hmm. Not really. I to any significant degree, but my friend and I were talking about that the other day. How how meditative it is to sit in a sit in a tractor because you're either driving the baler or you're cutting, and that hum of being inside there and listening to that and that kind of constant motion in the seat, and and you you at once have to stay locked into you know cutting precisely mm-hmm. or baling precisely, but at the same time you can kind of get lost, you know, at the same time simultaneously. It's very meditative, actually. And now you were one of seven kids, I read? Yeah, so bottom of seven. Nine originally. Nine. My mom lost two babies. So she was kept busy, though, by you guys, I'm sure. And I wondered if that might have something to do with, you know, was the beginning of, of performing, even just around the house or whatever as a kid, was that in perhaps some way just to to get some attention when there's so many people fighting for it? Probably, probably that Fighting for attention, but also kind of when you're the youngest, probably getting some attention <laughs> because it's hard not to when, you know, there's a baby or a little one around, at least hard for me. It's impossible for me not to, you know, pay attention to the little kids. Sometimes. Yeah. So, so probably both and everyone was really pretty entertaining in their way. 
So you eventually go off to Kent State University. I read you were thinking about a career in journalism, but mm. were you also dabbling in acting even while you were there? Yeah, I was never a theater kid. I was, I was kind of stupid enough to to think that was like a, an activity that we, you know, people I hung out with, the guys I hung out with were, were like too cool for that. And But I was A, wrong, because <laughs> I wasn't too cool for anything. And B, I... It's like, you know, when you, you resist something too much, it, it, you know, you probably have an interest, a curiosity or interest <laughs> about it. So since my friends and I were pretty funny and, you know, would like to entertain a bit, and I got, kind of got interested in writing, and I, I always liked to, to read, even though I, I took, let's say, vacation to pursue a Bachnallian lifestyle. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> but, but I had fun. Yeah. But I would, when I was young, I would read, and I always enjoyed writing, and I was curious enough about it I would so I did a play finally in uh, college. Co- I did a couple, yeah, and I was not very good in either of them, I don't think. <laughs> and then uh, I had to drop out of school. I dropped out of school twice to make some money to go back to school. Oh, the really? second time I did not go back to school. Yeah. And the first time I dropped out, I think I picked up some little show. I started to write a lot. Then I I was then the next time I I, I started working at a and and um, public broadcasting a PBS little station in Pittsburgh, which was a very good little PBS station at the time, and. Doing everything, manual labor, floor managing, hanging lights, working in a warehouse. You just had to do everything. And I'd grab little spots here and there on little 16 millimeter films if they were making them. But at night I was doing a play. Can I just interrupt for one sec? Because one of the things in Pittsburgh was Mr. Rogers. Yeah, everybody talks about that. It's an old story. It's just, yeah, he was a very nice man. A very, very nice man. And that was a great little company. Still is a good company. Yeah. And anyway, so I was at night doing a play and then I was... I was obsessed with comedy from the Lampoon, and I was less of a Mad Magazine fan than I was of Lampoon, and just funny. Just since I was a kid, I liked I liked to stay up and watch the, the comedians, mm-hmm. and, and and I was also getting interested in theater. So I was doing a play, and then I was working in a club at night, and I was working during the day. I was working a couple jobs, I think, like that. And so, you know, finally I said to myself, I think I'm just going to make this move. Can you connect the dots, though, between... Leaving Kent State, ending up for for a, I think a decent chunk of time at a Navajo reservation, mm-hmm. and then going out to Hollywood. What happened at at each of those places that led to the next? Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. First of all, it was a very limited period of time uh, in Chinle, Arizona, and that that just came out of nowhere. That came. I was doing a little show at night. I was doing a musical review for twenty five bucks a show outside of Pittsburgh, and there was somebody in the cast whose cousin or someone had gone out and and. It, within less than a minute, she was explaining it to me, and I, it literally in less than a minute, she looked at my face, and for some reason, she she looked right at me and said, "Why? Is this something?" She either said, "Is this something you want to do, or is this something you're interested in, or mm-hmm. something?" And I never thought about it until then. I mean, I was always interested in the West and things like that, yeah, the cultures. But I said, without like the word came out of my mouth, yes, before I even thought about it, and I made a couple long distance phone calls, and I quit this show, and I. And I took off and ended up, I don't know if you've ever been in that section of the Southwest, no. but it is so far removed from from where I was raised that it's like polar opposite. And I, I thought, well, I'm, this is a big mistake. You know, I was sleeping <laughs> in an empty, an empty old dormitory. It was a summer school program for right. kids right. who they were called, I forget, but kids would come from all over because the population is very sparse and the kids are spread out all over. So for the summertime, they'd all come and stay. But a lot of the dorms were empty, and I slept on a, a like a bare mattress for a long time with nothing. And, and that first night, I remember thinking, 
this is a big mistake. <laughs> I got to get out of here. And I thought, and I, I had no way of getting out because I spent all my money on the plane ticket. And I thought, well, I'll hitchhike out of here. I'd hitchhike back and forth from school all the time and to, to, to go home on weekends. If, and it was, you know, common practice with my friends then. I hitchhiked all around up into Canada and New England and yeah. everything. So, so a couple of days went by, and the next thing I know, it was growing on me, let's say. And then it really started growing. And then I just thought, well, I'm just going to settle into this totally new place. And I was volunteering teachers, uh, volunteering to help teachers. Mm -hmm. I was cleaning up little sheep farms, kind of volunteering everything. And, and then I ended up directing this little play for these kids. It was there. That was a pivotal time in my life. I got real clear-headed about everything. I took all stimuli away and was just learned how to be really, really present and get down deep. And I thought, you know... I'm kind of kidding myself. I, I need to pursue the thing I really am curious about. Mm -hmm. So I went home, took two jobs, moved back to my parents for a few months, saved every dime I had. I think I, I, I the, for some reason, the number $270 is in my head, and I have mm -hmm. no idea why, but mm -hmm. I think that's what I showed up here with, which was gone pretty quickly. Drove out to L.A. with 270 No, I got up. I managed to get a cheap, cheap flight in the middle of the night, landed, slept right up about 20 blocks from here on the uh -huh. floor my long. friend Greg one night or two nights got a bus out to the valley stayed in one bedroom apartment with a couple of my buddies from Pittsburgh for a while who were very generous to me and then started just working different jobs like parking cars and and working in restaurants and name it I did it and and then at night I was and I was writing too all the time right with the goal that you would perform these things yes but the one of the smartest things I did in retrospect was I never and I figured this out pretty early and I, I recommend this to people all the time. First of all, writing in general is really good for a person, I think, regardless of whatever you do with it. And, mm -hmm. and, and what, I, what it afforded me was my own, my own stage, my own theater. So I, didn't, I could create any environment or scenario I wanted to do in stand-up. And, and I was intermittently going to acting class. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was structured, and you had to you know, it was, you know, do you know, scene study and, and exercises and show up and wait for that one shot every two weeks to perform it and put it up in front of the class or whatever. But when you can write and, and get up, you, you can kind of create your own world. So you're always, you have like your own built-in venue. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, but I was pursuing life as, as an actor. But I started to get very good as a, a stand-up for, I just ran into somebody last night who is overly generous with his compliments, <laughs> stand-up, I know. From years, all well, those guys were, you know, and and so anyway, but but I never could get it was I had to make a decision to do one thing or the other because I don't think people realize how good the good ones are. Mm -hmm. They take for granted, and there's so much of it now. There's such a surplus of comedy mm -hmm. everywhere. But boy, it, it, to get really really good, people do not appreciate that as an art form. And, and you I, were doing the little comedy store and laughing. I was doing everything, yeah. and I was on the road doing little colleges and. Doing shows. Was and that one of those that somebody, I think your first agent or manager, saw you for the first yeah. time? Yeah. This guy who's, who is still my friend and just a great, and to this day one of the funniest people, not only I know, but many, many people in the comedy world, you know, has an interesting history. It left Germany at five because the family, you know, they were Jew, German Jews mm -hmm. and had to get out. And they were, his father was an opera singer, his brother was a musician and his other brother formed blood sweat and tears and harry managed thelonious monk and me 
And <laughs> I see the, yeah. the similarities. Yeah. And so for a while, he managed uh, Biner, John Biner, who's a really gifted what comedian. What was his last name? Harry Columbia. Harry Columbia. Columbia. And so Harry came in one night because a friend of mine was was came up from Pittsburgh, a very witty guy named Charlie Hauk, and he knew Harry. And, and he said, man, Harry's really funny. He said, Harry, he said you, you should go see my friend Michael some night work because he had seen me. And I was really just getting started. And and Harry was a little bit of a comedy snob, frankly. And he, <laughs> he came out in the parking lot and said, here, come here, I want to talk to you. And we went to, a couple of days later, went to have coffee and, you know, handshake deal. And we were together forever and we produced some things together. And, That's great. Yeah, yeah. So your first big time gigs were on TV, right? You were doing yes. Maud, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, uh, I did a little, I did a mini series for a minute called Studs Lonigan based on a book. And then, then I'd do little things and I, my friend Charlie or, or Norman Steinberg, one of those guys, I mm-hmm. forget, said, hey, you know, come and have a meeting. And if they let you read, it was literally, that was your only mm-hmm. shot. You might get to read just to have some audition experience. And I got it. And even he was surprised, I think. <laughs> and then he, they said, I, so I showed up nervous as hell for, to do a taping. I never didn't know how that even worked, which there, I know you know this, but they're kind of like small plays, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. which is kind of great. Yeah. And so I did that. That I think they recommended me to go across the street to see some other guys in the Norman Lear company down mm-hmm. there, and they and they put me on another show, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which was very a show way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Like it, it spawned Fernwood Tonight and all that stuff, which is still to this day funny. Yeah. Then I did a gig, and they turned it into a two-parter, and that led to a deal with them with a company and then and then it dried up for a long time and that was the, one of the best things that ever happened to me they gave Why me a little that? bit of money because i quickly figured out how it works <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i thought oh one job gets another one the money goes up and that gets better i can pay rent i can i can buy a used car <laughs> then a little more money and another job on that job got me another job that job got me four parts on a series or yeah. something and i thought here i go yeah and then you learn real quick it can be gone in a flash. Well, just to quickly, I think it would have been around this time. Your real name is not Michael Keaton. No. Was it around then that that changed? I, I got a job early on and I had changed for the union. I was in the K's in the alphabet. Because your actual name is Michael Douglas. Yes, Michael John Douglas, yeah. And so that was obviously already... Uh, Michael John Daniel is my confirmation name. I uh, got you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, now as, as Michael Keaton, I believe your first film opportunities in 78 uh, fun fact this was Joan Rivers only movie that she ever rabbit directed. Test, yeah. rabbit test Billy but, Crystal was in it. yeah <laughs> as a pregnant man again. yeah <laughs> but it wasn't really until four years later with Night Shift that you really crossed mo- a large number of people's radar as a film actor right that was the one that yeah yeah and the, and the, the thing that just which to, is what I always really really wanted you I, always did I, I mean I, I was always in love with filmmaking and film and I was even trying to make little shorts at the time with little 8 and 16 millimeter equipment. And I liked television. I like television to this day, I think, qualitatively. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm not saying anything new. It's, it's as good if not better, pound for pound, in terms of writing. But, but, but I loved filmmaking, and, and I still like plays and theater, but, but really I was more interested in film and filmmaking and being in the movies. And every time I would get a series that was canceled, and I think I had three of them, it was like someone lifted a house off my back. Correct me if this is wrong, but I had read that it was actually one of the writers of one of those series, Working Steps, which mm-hmm. was at CBS, who was also writing a script for Ron Howard, 
who said, Ron, you should meet this guy. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of Night Shift. Yeah, Lowell Gans. Lowell Lowell Gans, Bob Lumandel wrote Night Shift. And Lowell was directing me in an episode. And I got along quite well with him. He's a funny guy. And I was making him laugh. And I got an audition based on that, is what I think happened. I'm next to positive that's how it happened. And and then I got like four or five, six callbacks or something. And it went on, seemed like I went on for like months. <laughs> and uh, you had to keep getting better and better and stay focused on each and every one and refine the, the audition piece. And I was improvising in the audition, but not as much as when Ron trusted me and let me really started letting me cut it loose. And in the end, this sort of motor mouth that you were playing, this morgue attendant who also was a pimp it stole the show this character your character but during the making of it they weren't so sure about you right well that's what i heard later i think i I, i'd almost been fired from a few jobs (laughs) but back then yeah i think laddie at the time i I, I think maybe it wasn't him but someone 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 who i liked actually alan jr Mm -hmm. uh someone up there was saying we they were watching dailies i didn't even know there was such a thing as dailies (laughs) and they kind of said well this this where uh, I read the script, what is this coming from? You know, what is he doing? And to Ron and Brian's credit, they said, no, wait, no, just wait, just wait. I know, uh, tr- kind of trust them, not trust me, Mike, but trust them, you know, trust me. Basically, Ron was saying, I think. But then, then I think, I, then I don't really know what happened. I just, you know, but I, but I always work from, from a character, you know. I mean, I, I admit that I wanted to be funny. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be funny on screen and I wanted to, but I did and always, and do and always have, and I suppose always will, mm-hmm. uh, come from a place of, it comes out of character. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not improvised, just improvise. Yeah. Would the character really say this or really do this? Or, or it's always, it was always based, it always came from an acting perspective as opposed to just, by the way, I'm not sure, I'm sure there were times on television where I just showed up for a game. I just wanted to be funny. Yeah. But usually it was, like like I did this episode of Tony, one of my favorite little jobs was an episode on the Tony Randall show. Mm-hmm. And that was a real education. I've talked about this a few times in, in execution of comedy. Because Tony Randall was so precise. His precision in terms of where the joke, how the joke would play, where it should land, the timing Everything was was an eye opener for me because I was coming mm-hmm. from a very loose kind of free flowing, improvisational, but also my version of a character. Yeah. And I developed this character for the role, and that that turned into two parts, I think. But sitting there and watching him, who basically he kind of directed these episodes, even though it was, mm-hmm. he wasn't the director, was a great, great little education. So interesting. So so Night Shift comes out. It's very successful. I think Ron was hoping to bring you back for Splash, but instead you went with Mr. Mom, which what seems like it was smart strategic move at that point when you're establishing who you are. That one also was was very well received. And John maybe, Hughes, John Hughes' first thing. That was right, right. And I and I would love to hear anything you have to say about that. But also the the lesson that I've read you you've spoken about elsewhere, where after that one there was then a a, a few that didn't necessarily go over as well and there was a dry period and that was I guess your introduction to the or reintroduction to the fickleness of the business as well right <laughs> my reintroduction <laughs> yeah I think if you pay attention to anyone there there are very there are several reintroductions yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but that was your first leading well Johnny Dangerously was one of those things you know there are there are movies I have which I probably have many that everybody's got them where you, they are actually hits in the 
if you look back, they accumulate yeah. such cred right. or fan following, and ultimately they make their money too. Yeah, by the of way. course. You know, they find a way to get their dough back. But but that that John Dangerously, you know, you could say wasn't hit. It actually is a hit. It actually kind of is this very. So there was. Yeah, I suppose that did happen. I, I, I guess we could go back and look at a graph and, and track it. <laughs> no, but, but, but Mr. Mom, though, did put you firmly on the uh, on the map, at least yeah. for a short Yeah, made some good dough. and Now you're a leading man. I suppose so, yeah. 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 So Beetlejuice, a few years later, comes uh, Tim Burton calling. You originally said no to that, right? Well, yeah, not like, no, I re- I'm not doing the part. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. Right, because <laughs> it is a little... Yeah, wanky. and what ended up was not exactly what he was describing, right. you know, when we really go back and look at it, he and I. But but it didn't matter. He gave me enough. And then once we got going, I mean, the, the guy's just, you know, I keep saying he's an artist, he's a visionary, yeah. you know, he's unique. And it's a testament, though, to you that your character is the one that people talk about and remember when, in fact, I believe this is correct, you're on screen for something like 19 minutes. Yeah, I know. And so, And you and he really, the, the reason we remember that character so fondly is that you guys went to great lengths in terms of the costume and the makeup and the hair and all of that to make this guy stand out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I said no, only not like, no, I'm not doing it. It was like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what you mean exactly, so I don't, I'm not quite getting it. And, and but I keep saying no, I've done that several times, but it might be... I mean, it's all, it's not like I'm above it. It's usually you can find someone better mm-hmm. or, uh, I don't think I can do this or, you know, sometimes you're just not interested. Then, then talking with Tim, like the third time or the fourth time, I kept liking him more and more. And I, you could tell there was something in this guy. Yeah. And I, but the only thing he had to show, I think it was Frankenweenie at the time. I think that's, really? unless there was something else. Yeah, I could, can't be. remember. He, I don't think he had done Pee Wee yet. Or maybe he did. I don't, I don't remember. But there's something there, you know, and his, 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 his sketches of the character look nothing like Peter Juice. Really? So what happened was we had a, we're in a Mexican restaurant on Lincoln Boulevard. And I go, you know what, let me, let me, I got an idea. He had said a couple of things that's, that got me interested, and I, I called the wardrobe department down. I think Raleigh, where we ended up shooting. I think, or wait a minute, it was on the, it was down Culver City, whatever that really neat old studio is down there. And I had these mental notes, of based on things he told me. And I asked for wardrobe from all different periods of time and styles, and they sent me a big rack. <laughs> I just moved into this house, was basically empty, and I had I think a real real. I saw kind of teeth that were just a little bit larger than mine and you know not well taken care of and I started putting on different costumes and wardrobes I developed a walk and I developed a sound and I have no idea what that came from and and then I just knew one thing was clear like you know I said I want my hair standing out yeah like as though I just stuck my finger in a socket <laughs> the whole time and that's what the performance is coming from it's right. coming from here to there and he said something about the guy lives in all periods of times he kind of lives in reality lives in a non-reality he exists, but he doesn't exist, and blah, blah, blah. But when he says something about under a rock, I told V, the great V Neal, I said, I want mold down my neck and up my thing, and she just loved that. <laughs> so we did that, and she came up with the eyes, or Tim, I think Tim always had those eyes and the skin, and the striped suit was his thing, and then I said, I think, and then I just threw together a thing, and the amazing thing that may not get mentioned about Beetlejuice is not one second was seen because I was still putting it together mm-hmm. and he had already been shooting. Nobody saw anything. And I didn't know if it was going to work until I showed up on the set. 
I hit the road, not just running, I hit the road <laughs> flying and, and gambled that this thing I was going to try to do would work. That's and as amazing. soon as Tim saw it, to his enormous credit, he just was on board. And it was the train that we just, he and I just rode. And I know you and he hit it off to the extent that not only did you obviously reteam for, for Batman not that long after, but that you've said there's only one role that you would ever consider returning to and that it would be Beetlejuice, right? Yeah. At the time I said that. Yeah, yeah. long, 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 long time. Long time. Not going to... Oh, gonna, I don't know. You know, yeah. people could ask me about this. I, how could you not make that again? Right. But they chose not to. I don't know what right. they're doing. So the other thing that's kind of incredible is that same year, or at least released that same year, was a totally different Michael Keaton performance in Clean and Sober. And yeah. I just wonder how that even came about, because it, up to that point, most people associated you with comedy. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think that Glenn Gordon, Karen said that Night Shift was the reason that he was interested in you for the part, but it's such a totally different thing. I think... There's a scene, and I remember the day when we shot it under a Christmas tree in Night Shift. And like I say, I just play whatever the reality of the scene is or whatever I think is true, what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where I talk about my father, underneath, not my own father, mm -hmm. but the character's father, mm -hmm. Billy's father. I, and I remember the room felt weird. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe, I've, maybe my choice was wrong. And then... I don't know that Ron kind of went over and huddled around the camera or something, but he, I think he moved the camera angle a little bit or he came in tighter, changed the lens or something. And I, I think he wasn't ready for what I was doing under that tree. And he rode with it as opposed to saying, Hey guys, you know, come on, let's keep it nice and light, you know? And I think Glenn went, Oh, okay. This is a multidimensional character. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, I'm, I, I hate to make too big a deal out of night shift. Basically it's a funny guy jumping around, but but, you know, so I think that's what Glenn may have seen and said, I, I want to do that. And it's, to me, that was not, I mean, I was excited about it because I thought, okay, here's a challenge. But it was less about me going, you know, that thing of, I need to do drama. I'm right. not just, I'm deeper. It was, I don't look at things like that. It, mm -hmm. was, it was another role. I hadn't played anything like that. People said, don't do it to a couple of things. They said, mm -hmm. don't do it to Pacific Heights. Mm -hmm. They said, don't do it. That, you know, you you should never be supporting. You're an, mm -hmm. you're the lead, and I'm, I just want to want to be an actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, you know, I like I like the whole movie star thing. Yeah. It <laughs> sure is fun, right. but that's you know. So I thought, okay, I want to do this, and the money was there wasn't any, but I, the experience was so good, and and the writing in that script was so good. Do you feel it brought you Todd a Carol. different level of of respect and appreciation? Well, I I think just to some. Folks credit, and I think back then it was in New York, National Film Critics or something, gave me a little award that literally oh, yeah. somebody had to ask, is there anything? said, no, we just wanted to say you're great. Ah, oh, that's great. And then somebody made me up a little thing, plaque or something, and I had it framed. Ah, oh, that's great. For, and I think it was both those, because in yeah. one year you did Beetlejuice and Dick Plain and yeah, Sober, yeah. which... Amazing. Yeah. So just a year later, you're back with Tim, you're doing Batman. People... Today, they can't make enough comic book movies, but that's really only because you guys started the yeah. the trend. At the time, it must have felt like a huge risk. Huge risk. If that goes down, then that goes down big. Yeah. So yeah. why, I mean, at the time, are you kind of saying, wait a minute, they're asking me to be a grown man to dress up in costumes and, and kind of, it must have seemed crazy. It, yes. 
Yes. Were you a Batman? Would you grow up caring about no, Batman? No, that, that that stuff never appealed to me. I was not a comic book kid. I, I would occasionally leaf through some comic books. Yeah. I kind of tried to be a comic book kid, but I really wasn't. That wasn't. That was never a big thing with me. And I knew virtually nothing, and know virtually nothing about the lore of any of those characters mm-hmm. about anything. And and at the same time. I, I think it's kind of great what they've done with everything. It's really it's really interesting. I mean, I don't think it's too far to go. To, well, maybe calling it literature is too far to go. But I mean, no, you know what I mean? I actually find it as an outsider yeah. looking at it, having, like I just did Spider-Man and the Marvel yeah. people are amazing at yeah. how, how all-encompassing they are in terms of putting the stuff out there. It's it's it's. It's an amazingly well-oiled machine, and 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 that's where you have to. My my two, uh, my reference, the, my reference point was an eleven-year-old and an eight-year-old girl who know all this stuff, and I would call them really? yeah, during the making of this character information. That's great. Yes. So <laughs> I also heard that you know your this was shot in London. You wound up there at a time that you've described it as a lonely period mm. for you, mm. which in a weird way must have felt exactly like what Bruce Wayne was feeling himself. Yes, and and I'm not sure I was aware of that 24-7, as they say, at the time, but I certainly used it, as they say. But more than anything, I used the loneliness of the the solid area, the outfit, Mm -hmm. the the suit. You know, you're locked inside, and, you know, Tim and I established that he was depressed and established that he was, you know, reclusive and all those things. So all that stuff worked, yeah. And that was the beginning, because now every superhero comic book movie is about, you know, the dark side of yeah. the... That, that was the real... He, he's groundbreaking. Innovation there, he's yeah. groundbreaking at almost every turn. Yeah, and I, and I was I was in... I was along for the ride. Yep. And like I say, if it went down, we were going down in, in a big <laughs> way. So yeah. that movie's a hit. Three years later, the sequel, Batman Returns, is a hit. The third one was going to be now, not with Tim, but with Joel Schumacher. And it seems like that might have been jarring just because it is such a specific thing. And I just, I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder for you, there were all kinds of reports at the time that I know have been questioned since people were saying you were unhappy with the salary offer, that the villains were getting more complex, but the hero wasn't or other stuff. But fundamentally, the reason you did not continue it's as Batman. So, it's so great to hear all speculation because I can right. simplify it for you. It sucked. <laughs> the script never was great. Right. Right. I didn't understand why he wanted to do what he wanted to do. Which was to make it not dark, right? Yeah, I knew we were... I hung on for many meetings, and I was <laughs> polite up to a point about saying, Look, you know, can do you think maybe... Are you getting this, and do you understand the thing? But I knew it was in trouble when he said, why does everything have to be so dark? And I went, <laughs> okay, well, witness the death of his parents. Right. You know, and, and not only that, like physically it had to be brightened up. And also right. then... It became the it became the thing of oh let's do let's do bright colored cameos I mean I just and I you know now now I gotta say had Tim been saying hey I want to experiment with something you might have been more open to I it. would have been way open to it because <laughs> I thought well in this guy's hands who knows right, you know right. and also you know I also frankly I thought this just I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah, I just can't yeah. do it. And not not like I'm I'm I'm, an, I'm above it or I'm an artist, but maybe I'm a, a, enough of an artist to go. I just don't think I can do this without blowing my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, you know, you did a variety of other things over those next couple of years that you wouldn't have gotten to do. Just to remind people: this dying father in my life, the rom com for the first time with Speechless, 
first newspaper man of several in the long run paper, with the much paper. Do, much do about nothing. Yeah, much one do of my favorite nothing. things. Yeah, multiplicity. So that in a in a way, absolutely. I mean, with multiplicity, this was. Um, I mean, what an acting challenge to mm. have to play so many different people and be funny and all of that. Yeah, it was great. I loved it with Harold Ramis. You know, yeah. it was great. But I will say that recently, when you were on the circuit with Birdman, and you showed up at the Gotham Awards to get your prize, and I will quote. I want to thank the fine folks of Gotham. It feels good to be back home. Not to toot my horn, but when was the last time you saw the Penguin or the Joker cause any problems? <laughs> that was great. But the Batman era was over. Now, what I found interesting, it just is another, on top of multiplicity, which is 96, then in 97, 98, another must be a very rare, if not unique, acting challenge was playing the same guy in two movies for different directors. This, mm. this same Ray Nicolette for both Elmore Leonard adaptations, Jackie Brown for Tarantino, and then a year later out of Cypher Soderbergh. How did that even happen? Well, for one thing, let me just say that I one thing that made me want to jump at the Soderbergh thing was it was Soderbergh. And also, I realized no one had ever done that. Or I, I figured no one had yeah. probably ever done that. And the Soderbergh, just to clarify, the Soderbergh thing came after Jackie Brown. I want to talk about Jackie Brown because, yeah. you know, it's Quentin. Yeah. And, and I really love Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the Soderbergh thing, Steven Soderbergh called, and I'm a Soderbergh fan. And he had this idea, and I was immediately intrigued. But I thought, eh, I don't know if I really want to, you know. There was there was really not much in the role. Mm -hmm. And then I, I thought, but Jesus, Steven Soderbergh, you know, you you should always hang around sets with those guys, mm -hmm. you know, if you can, and learn from all these people. I took a movie in Scotland one time to be just to watch Duval work, and we've become friends. And also, it's in Scotland, and I yeah. love Scotland. But but I just to sit in the set and watch him, you know. So you want to do stuff like that for starters. But also, I started thinking about it, and my only request was, I said, there has to be, okay, I'm going to get my hair back the way the way it looked. I'm going to get, I, I I need two or three pieces of wardrobe that I wore. In Jackie Brown, so that you really lock in. Mm -hmm. This is a specific person. This is Ray Nicolette because I wanted people. And this is, I just um, it tickles me. I wanted the feeling to be. I mean, it's a different studio. It's a different mm -hmm. movie. It's a different. It's a different story. There are different people. I wanted the, the feeling, if not consciously, subconsciously, to be that Ray Nicolette exists. He's out there in the world. <laughs> he, you know, he might be at, at a tire store next to you one day, having his his, his wheels balanced. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like I, actually in the world. He's in line getting cash out of a cash machine. He's you know, like he actually is a person out right, there. Right. He might pop up somewhere else. You know, I, I just <laughs> right. love the notion. I thought, has anyone ever done that? Right. And and I liked what. Like the Quentin thing, it's another thing people say, you said no to, I, I didn't say no to, and I, when I think back, I go, what was I thinking, it was Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> but I just told him, I said, I, you, once again, you can find 50 guys to do this better than I can, and I don't, I didn't see anything in it at the time that was anything, but, you know, we talked and had a couple of drinks, and he talked me, he didn't talk me into it, I said, yeah, what am I thinking? Of course I'm going to do this, you know? And so I really, really, really like Jackie Brown a lot of the Quentin movies, no, I, and they're all great, but I love that one. When along the line did you start spending a lot of your time away from L.A., which is not something that many film stars do? Yeah. When, when was that? 
about 30 years ago. But I'd always I'd travel, you know, I'd take yeah. off and go places. Um, and actually probably didn't do enough of that. But it was also my son was young and I wanted to be an active dad. And I was. And so, you know, I gave up a lot of time and I, I didn't give up anything. I gained. But but I I I there were location decisions where I didn't take movies because of location. I didn't want to be away. And I also wanted to be involved in school and teams. And, you know, that was more my focus and also you know, kind of thinking about what I really liked and really didn't like about what I was doing. And did uh, that have anything to do with why around the turn of the century you were not working as much as you had before? Did you just choose to be at home more? I think it was a I don't think. I know it was a lot yeah. of things. It was all those things, me getting tired of hearing my own voice, feeling like I was kind of pulling out tricks, probably being lazy, probably not being particularly interested, and, and also... <laughs> Not all those are my decisions. Those are a lot of other people's decisions saying, frankly, we're not interested. <laughs> Did you feel that that had happened, though? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll feel it again someday. So I don't really care much now. You know, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I feel it. I don't I never really took it personally, but I guess I'm human. So I maybe sometimes I was my feelings were hurt or I got I never the thing I'm either blessed with or I maybe I deserve credit. I, I never fall victim to desperation. Mm-hmm. You know, I told somebody once, you know, when you're flying into L.A. and you see that layer of what you think is smog over the city, they go, yeah, I said, that's actually desperation. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why you go to Montana or wherever. Well, yeah, and I have a life, you know, I had a life. And, 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 but, you know, it's a combination, as I say, of, of all those things I mentioned and also not a whole lot of folks knocking on my door. For a little while. Yeah, yeah, you know, so that's okay. I, I'm, I'm a big boy about it, but that's not to say that there aren't, Sometimes for you thought, oh man, you know, this doesn't feel so good. Most of the time it didn't, it, it always matters because you got to make a living. Yeah. But it didn't quite matter sometimes because I have a pretty big life. Yeah. I've really fulfilled as a, as a, as a pop, as a dad. Yeah. You know, I have a big family and, mm-hmm. you know, like all of us, we kind of help out taking care of different members of our family. Mm-hmm. But that said, you know, you don't, you don't like the feeling when you start to go, hey man, I, I feel like I need to go out and, and work a little bit. Yeah. And I did. I would always be, you know, I mean, I got nominated for things during that time that everything was, I mean, I, went, I did that thing playing Angleton and that miniseries. And so that was Life really, from Baghdad, right? Was oh, I did Life from Baghdad. Yeah, yeah but yeah. no, that played James Angleton, the head oh, of yeah. CIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I really liked doing. That was challenging. So so I was out there doing little things. Like I say, I've stayed in the gym yeah. quietly. Yeah. And you just can't fall victim to desperation. You can get worried you go you, you know you got to go to the bank and go hey how am i doing here <laughs> you know what i mean you know you might have to shed a few horses and, right, right. and uh, i was also getting way into cutting horses and hmm. that takes an, i like to win yeah so <laughs> you got to put a lot of time in right. training and living in crummy motels and traveling and way more money's going out and no money's coming in yeah and I was running around the world fishing in exotic places, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. run, you know, and date, you know, living in the life of traveling around Europe, enjoying myself. I heard that in the early 2000s, one of the things that one of the knocks that did come, but that you ended up declining to, to accept was for this TV show Lost, which there was a part that ended up being played by Matthew Fox. You decided not to do that? Yeah. You know, I started to feel badly about this. That I think that got... Because it sounds like it didn't exactly play out like that. And I always think, geez, you know, maybe this has been misinterpreted or did I, did I mischaracterize that, if, if that's such a word. 
JJ and I had a conversation. He told me about this thing he was, and I'm, I like, I like what he does. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I yeah. just thought he, and this is, goes back to then. So he told me this thing, and I thought, well, this guy's worth talking to because he's real smart. I'd written, I'd read some things he had written, and I think, and he told me about this idea, and I, you know, it's, it's no news now. I'm not revealing anything. He said, and here's what happens: the guy that you think is the lead dies in the last 10 minutes or something. And I immediately, when I hear things like that, like Soderbergh calling, calling you going, hey, I want Ray Nicolette to pop up in this movie. Those kind of things right. intrigue yeah, 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 yeah. me. So I went, oh. And, and I thought, yeah. Now the, the idea of doing an hour television show, just I'm just too lazy. <laughs> so I thought, wow, this is pretty good, but then I don't have to be in a series. Hmm. And you know, because he was going to be killed in the pilot. Yes. Ah. Now I don't think I'm revealing anything. No, no, I mean, no, no. You no, can no. double check with I, JJ. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But but because that was the goal, and I think what happened was, and I've never really talked to him about this. I guess maybe we had a brief conversation where where he thought better of it, or the studio said that ain't going to happen. And then there was a kind of a half a conversation, like about, well, do you have any more interest? So it's not like they offered to me. Oh, I didn't turn it. I turned it on, and then it just I, changed. The, the it offer changed. changed. Yeah. Yes, and it didn't. That didn't interest me. Right. And I know that was that was what was going to happen. And and that I probably would have done. Right. Even though people would say, "Why would you ever do that?" And then you're the big lead guy, and then you die. Why would you ever do that? And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me. Definitely. And he's so good. You know, you go. You know, you want to hang out with guys for like sure. that. For sure. I want to make this clear. Yeah. Big sound like, oh, I could have done that. And I chose no, not no, to do no. that. No, no, no. I think not, people get it. Yeah, it's a different. Yeah. It was a different offer. Yeah. So this brings us up to these last three years, which have been pretty unbelievable, I would yep. imagine, for you. And it started with Birdman. Did you know Alejandro Inarritu before receiving the, the script, or did that just show up out of the blue? This is part of a longer conversation, and someday I'll have it, but you don't have the time now. And also, I don't know that I can be as articulate and clear as I want to be early about it. I'm going to tell you this. It actually started way before that, in here. In your head. And in here. In your head. I started getting really, really locked in. I started really, really thinking about and narrowing, narrowing the focus and narrowing the energy and narrowing the vision and honing it and really thinking about what I wanted to do and then saying, okay, here's my challenge. How do I slowly but surely start to throw a jab, start to throw another jab, and then go just stay disciplined, stay locked in, stay locked in. And I'm gonna, this, this I will tell you, though. There was a, co- a lunch conversation with a representative, mm-hmm. and I basically told them, promise you that things weren't looking great. I said, trust me, bet everything you own, I'll win. And I and whatever, however you describe winning, I'm going to win this fucking thing. And I don't mean <laughs> prizes, I don't mean awards. Yeah. And I said, you're either on the bus or you're not on the bus. Mm-hmm. But the bus is leaving. <laughs> and it started way back when I started taking things like, and by the way, I would take it in a heartbeat anyway, but it was even almost pre-other guys. It yeah. was back where I started to slowly, and I hate to use the word strategically, yeah. but I get on a, a much narrower road, stay on that road. And so, so then when, and I'm back in uh, New York doing Robocop, and I literally was back in LA and then back on the set within 24 hours, I think, because the name Alejandro Iñárritu came up. And I said, you don't even have to tell me. <laughs> First of all, they said, we can't tell you what it's about. Right, right. It was very secretive. I said, I don't even care. <laughs> I had seen all those movies and I said, I, that's the guy I want to go back and right, I'll have a conversation right. with. It leads to nothing. I don't care. We hung out. We had dinner. 
lays a script on me. After a conversation, he's kind of looking at me, and he wanted to go outside and smoke. I don't smoke anymore. I haven't smoked for years, so mm-hmm. I went out and hung out in the side where he used to smoke. We're starting to kind of enjoy each other's company. He says, can you ride me home? I, and I go, yeah, I live a few blocks. So I go, he says, wait here. He's going to get the script, lays it on me. I read it on the plane. I'll be really honest. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been horrible. <laughs> I probably would have said, <laughs> I got to take a chance on this right, guy. Right, right. I had seen his stuff. Yeah. You know? So I went back, went to work, and then immediately came back, and we went through an intense, that was an intense process from beginning to end. Um, Can I just interrupt for one second? Yeah. When you first read that script, you, a guy who had previously starred in comic book movies and had then, for some, partly by choice, partly not, you're saying, faded a little bit from the public eye. Oh, sure, totally. Did you read this and say, this guy's writing about me? Not specifically that so much as, wait a minute, clearly... I know this experience, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And I go, and I just, I think if I said anything to him that, but I don't think we ever even had a discussion about that because I, I was more concerned, what is it on its own? Mm-hmm. And also, I'm pretty sure I want to be in business with this guy because I love the yeah. way he makes movies. But the, the only conversation I remember having about that is I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't a distraction from what you were trying to make. I can take it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good with it. I, and I've got a big set of balls. <laughs> so, and as long as we got that cleared up yeah, yeah, yeah. and we had, and, and I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't it because I thought if that's it, we're done. The movie's kind of uh, done at the same time. Like I've told people this, there's a scene where uh, honestly, whether people believe it or not, I, I, I can't tell you how I don't care, but <laughs> it's as far away from me yeah, yeah. personally. However, of course you how do you not draw the comparison? So the safe bet would have yeah. been don't go near this thing. Yeah. But I don't think you do that in life. You know, I just don't think that's a good way to roll. So I said, let's go and do this thing. I just want to make sure it wasn't a distraction f- for the project. But also for me, I don't want to have to deal with that. Yeah, I yeah. want to stay locked into what, because he told me how he's going to try to do this. And I thought, whoa, boy. This is going to be hard. And his position, by the way, is that it's really his, it's about his inner conflict. It's 100% right? about yeah, him. Yeah. It was so much about him. And he will tell, he's told that. He said it publicly. Yeah. And he, it was one of the first things he told me. He yeah. was, what was interesting about it, getting to know this guy, and granted, we were three quarters of the way through a bottle of wine, but <laughs> he he's very open and very honest and was revealing what he was going through at the time. And I was the vessel for that, you know, and, and I was down with it, you know. And, and so... Then it then the hard work really really started and it was as great and difficult of an experience as as he can have and I in the first few days he didn't really he was nervous trust me when I tell you which then started to make me nervous for about a minute because I thought wait a minute I don't I don't think this guy's <laughs> getting I I think he needs to know I'm 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 kind of I'm sniffing this out but I'm I'm on the scent mm-hmm. and. It, there was a little bit of a language thing. There was also the way he works with people because I watched him do it with others. Mm-hmm. And then he started to kind of come on board. And then I started to make him feel a little more comfortable, I think. Mm-hmm. And he started to make me feel And then that was that lasted like a day or two. And then through the rehearsal process and then boom, then we were on our way. As an example, that scene where they say, you know, I'm doing an interview with the Asian, the Japanese interviewers, yeah. journalist. Yeah. You know, not word for word. I never literally sat in a room, but I did that. <laughs> I had that conversation maybe ten times. Right, well, right. not ten times, but four times. Sure, you know, sure, sure. At least once. Yeah. And and so absolutely, that was like a thing. Like I thought it was hysterical that there was the uproar that I was chosen to play Batman, and equally, 
odd to me that there was as much of an uproar that I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> you what can't I mean? win. You yeah. this. But yeah. the the movie obviously feels loose and improvised when you're watching it. But correct me if, if this is wrong. But the words, the camera movements. Everything was really choreographed, yes, right? Yes, had to be. It had to be li- almost physically and literally because they, of the physical limitations. And they would then they would... Uh, do you know that he literally, they literally, everybody involved was so unbelievably talented, but they literally, you know, built two, maybe three hallways so that every time it subtly... Gets tighter it, on Gets you. tighter and tighter. My world was cl- closing Amazing. in. And, 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 you know, done for not a lot of money. Yeah. And so, yeah, so sometimes just everything to, to make, just to light it. Yeah. And then just to get Chivo, Emmanuel Lubetsky, what he needed. And then the other actors had to come in at a precise time just to get on in the, not only just the frame, but the right spot on the frame and then be word perfect at the same time. Where words had to fall specifically at a certain place at a certain time. Now, sometimes later on, there was some movement because we started to get it down and he would actually do small rewrites to adjust or, you know, they would do small rewrites, the writers and, and Alejandro. Not to take anything away from what the script was or the direction or whatever, but you're on the set making this movie about, uh, it, it's a it's an unusual, more challenging movie than most movies that get made. And this movie, did you ever fathom that it could win the Best Picture Oscar? No, not until it started looking like it might. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then at that point, and I would, I still will say, I would say just for sheer artistry and courage and, and, and boldness, you know, the, the boldness of make, trying to make something like this and taking a risk and taking a chance on his part and everyone's part of the, everybody oh, involved, you know, that I thought, well, why not? reward it with something yeah. you know, no, if you're going to hand out rewards and artists anyway. if anybody can appreciate what your guy yeah. is going through so yeah. so now just a year later you're back with Spotlight this is you yourself I believe are a news junkie here you're playing for the third time at least after the paper and live from Baghdad and Newsman in the paper a paper yeah right is that what drew you to this guy or, or I mean I wondered even if it was a tough one to agree to do in the, in the sense that you were raised Catholic altar boy right your mother, I believe, remains mm-hmm. pretty observant About, from what you've yeah. said. Yeah. So what were the considerations here for, for why to do it or why not to do it? The only thing, as it is with a lot of projects, is what, what's going on in my life? How's everything shaping up? Everybody doing okay? Am I doing okay? Is you know everything under control? Does this fit? You know, do I have the focus for it at the time? And that would—that was the only consideration. That I thought, man, maybe I just need to sit, stop for a minute. It, it, the the grind of, of the last couple of years and the publicity and all everything mm-hmm. that went with it was, you know, that stuff's tiring. Yeah. You know, and and I thought that might have been a consideration, but I I had seen most of Tom McCarthy's movies yeah. and really liked them, and that's I think maybe the only time. No, maybe another time I call. Oh, no, I've called directors maybe two other times just to say, man, I really like what you, you, you did or do. And I had that conversation with them once briefly and years in the past. And, of course, everybody says we should kind of, you know, think about doing something someday. Yeah. And somebody called. And, and then he, t- he told me that uh, Mark was probably involved. Roughly, and, yeah. and I'm, you know, I like really liked what he was doing. And, and, and the subject matter didn't not only didn't scare me, it that attracted me mm-hmm. and being, you know, an older boy and being raised Catholic. And, and also this was really well written and why would you not do this? Yeah, movie, yeah. You know, and, and what a great ensemble that you're, you're a part of there. It ends up being not only Ruffalo, but so many 
yeah. top top. Yeah, and that I was really hoping would be would win Best Picture. That that yes. made me really, in a lot of ways, happier than Birdman. Yeah, because it, that kind of came out of you know that that wasn't. It was such terrific filmmaking in in in, in a lot of ways the classic sense that yeah. doesn't you know where you don't see filmmaking anymore and 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 or often, and very often anymore. And you, and so I, as it was going on, it was just this this horse that was you know just. Just hanging in there and hanging yeah, yeah, yeah. in there, hanging in there and hanging in there. We're not even coming from behind, you know, but, but just hanging in the pack, hanging and then making a move and staying strong and staying strong and staying strong and, and looking around and thinking, well, a thing like this, you know, there's some, this is a noble effort mm -hmm. as well as a well-made film. Yeah, it changed a lot of lives. Changed a lot of lives. And I run into people all the time, you know. And not many people have ever starred in back-to-back -back Best Picture nope. winners. Pretty nope. amazing. Almost none. <laughs> so, all right, that brings us up to what I think is one of, if not the best performance I think I've ever seen you give. I I hope that many people will seek it out over the holiday break or whenever it gets to your city. This is your you're playing Ray Kroc, the man who most people believe founded McDonald's in the founder. How much did you know about Ray Kroc before getting this script? Almost nothing. And it's one of those things where there are a few things, more than a few things like this in life where you think you know. Mm -hmm. I was just, I, you know, I was working in London on this film recently and I went to the war museum, the, the Churchill Museum, uh, and and you think you know, somebody says, you know, tell me about World War II. Mm -hmm. And they, well, and then you give your version of it and then you realize, I knew nothing yeah. and know nothing about <laughs> World War II. It is such a uh, an, an education. And so there are things like that in life and you think, Oh yeah, Ray Kroc, and then you start. Someone says, "Explain it to me," and you find yourself kind of, you know, blubbering, and you go, "Well," and then you don't really know who Ray Kroc is. You don't really know the McDonald's story. So I didn't. I knew very, very little. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there were McDonald's brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, really, the founder is a, in a lot of ways, the quintessential movie about free enterprise system and capitalism and America and American culture and what and the changes in American culture and uh, you know he was the first brander he was really the first arguably the first person to ever really really brand something the way as as we know it now well there's a moment in the film that you've spoken about where it literally is the turning point in history where our society became all about mobility sort of mobility portability portability yeah yep and throwaway culture yeah fast yeah. You know, uh, moving fast. Uh, and now, and, and it, you know what's great about the some of the reviews because there have been some really good reviews, and 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 I'm loving the, what they're what they're picking up that John Lee Hancock wanted to say, and, and that is that they are getting all these things without overblowing it or making something make, making this thing bigger than it actually is because mm -hmm. it's a sneaky kind of movie. You know, you. You think you're just going to see a, a biopic, and then you realize there's layers. This movie, there's there's funny moments in this movie. There's a weird kind of humor in this movie, and I keep saying, and now I've heard it mentioned again. You know, John and I hung out not too long ago mm -hmm. just to hang, and I was saying, you know, when I looked at the thing about this movie again, this has these this Billy Wilder esque feel to it. In that you see it, and you follow the story, and you're entertained, or you you enjoy it, and then you. Think about it. You see it again, you know, a few years later or something, and you start to see some things in it that you didn't really notice. Yeah. And so, you know. Well, you... the thing that's really jarring, I think, to me and to a lot of people is that we're so used to seeing protagonists of movies be the person that we 
empathize with. And in this case, as it goes along, I think he becomes less empathizable. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that's just what's so different about it. But it's fantastic. I hope. I and hope the people- thing I said regarding yeah. that, you know, the John, I got to keep, I keep saying this about him, but keep giving him the credit. The first thing I said, if it wasn't the first word out of my mouth, well, the first thing I liked about him was he said he couldn't make a meeting at like two past two thirty because he'd be back in the valley to catch his kids' football game. And I thought, okay, I like this guy yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Second of all, he goes, I said, here's what I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna pull back when he turns whatever you want to call it, dark, or, yeah. or he goes south. And it, by the way, his. His south is north to a lot of right. people. <laughs> you know, I said, we got to tell a story. If you got a guy who wants to make that a little easier, make people kind of go, oh, well, we really, at the end of the day, love you, Ray. I go, I'm, you got a bunch of other people who can do that. I don't right. really have an interest in right. doing it because it's not true. Right. And he stuck to it. John That's stuck right. to it. And we went down the road. We made the movie we set out to make. And it's nice that people aren't running away from that, that yeah. they go, well, I'm, I'm good with that. Oh, you know? fascinating. Yeah. Well, the last question is just, wonder if you could take stock and just kind of share your assessment of where things are right now, where they're going. You are, as you mentioned earlier, returning to the world of comic book movies, but in a different mm-hmm. uh, capacity. You don't have to be the hero this time. You can be the, right. you know, sometimes it may be more fun to be the bad guy. But just there's that. There's there's other things I know that are percolating. Just how do you feel about things? What's left to do? Is there anything you're particularly excited to do or, or are you content you mean in terms of acting or I, that's what i was referring to but you could take yeah. it however you oh man yeah. the other there's a lot <laughs> i i gotta get to my list just grows my pile of things i need i'm curious about i i, I keep wanting it it's like your desk you have to get kind of clear <laughs> off your desk and it keeps piling up as you as i live longer and i think no something's wrong here the things i'm curious about i want to go do that should be getting smaller. I should be knocking <laughs> some of these things off. But at the same time, there's so much, you know, I've had a couple of my friends say, and in, in, they're in other businesses, go, you know, I, they tell me they've retired. And I go, retired from what? <laughs> I mean, there's always something you can either do, get on a board or volunteer your time or do something. What I'm really looking forward to doing is something that doesn't isn't as narcissistic as my job can be <laughs> and do something that, helps other people but but in terms of you know i'm really enjoying it now and and i i'm a little tired to be honest <laughs> with you because these years have not been just not only doing the movie and i i invest myself yeah, when I'm yeah, working yeah. and then you go promote the movie or you're i've been fortunate enough to be in the, the awards yeah, world yeah, yeah. for which i'm unbelievably grateful and and then you so you do that. Ex, that takes a lot of energy, and then you do it to the next movie. Then you promote that movie. Then there's another awards thing. So if you if it sounds like a guy who's complaining, you no, are, no, you're I, totally I, wrong. No, I'm just saying that's what it drain, is. Yeah. So sleep comes to mind as yeah. something I'd like to be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other thing is simultaneously there are things as an actor and as a as somebody who wants to put things out there on screen or on a stage or something. I'm almost simultaneously as interested as ever ever before. And, you know, my job, like I say about the founder or any job, you know, I, my job is to help tell the story. And so I don't really think about, are people going to like me or love me? Or are they going to, I mean, if the job requires that people really love you or like you or care about you, then I obviously want to do that. That's part of mm-hmm. the role and part of the job. But I just do what the job is. I'm not, I don't, I don't really, I admire courage more than anything and when I see other actors and I see actors do things that are so courageous I just I've always aspired to be that that's Mm -hmm. that's the thing I want to be and I just want to be good Mm -hmm. so when I 
you take a role. My job is to help the director and the writers to tell the story. And I'm going to just keep on doing that. I, I am looking forward to just lightening up and having a lot of fun in a movie. <laughs> it's been a little heavy recently. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but other than that, just uh, keep on keeping on, I guess. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and love, love your stuff for as long as I can remember. Thanks, so. brother. Thank you. All right, man. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.